Thank you, Jenny, so much. Um, we are, if y'all keep scooting, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come all the way out here. If y'all want to come, you know, come up here. So uh, we are still in our uh, brief sermon series on the Psalms here for the summertime. Um, this evening, we are going to read from Psalm 31. I'm going to read the first eight verses of Psalm 31, but I will be referring to other verses within that text as we go on. It's just a little bit long to read the whole thing. So if you would like to turn there in the Bible in front of you, it's on page 461, and then you can keep it uh, open as we refer to it uh, throughout the time of our sermon. So this is Psalm 31, to the choir master, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your namesake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction, you have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We pray now that as we spend time meditating on it, that you would do the work that only you can do in our hearts and in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1862, life was looking pretty good uh, for George Matheson. George Matheson was 20 years old. And by the time he was 20 years old, and I always hate these stories because it makes me feel terrible about myself, but this is true. By the time he was 20 years old, George Matheson had already written two books of theology. I attribute that to his not having an Xbox in 1862. Uh, But he had already written two books on theology. He was primed for an academic and a theological career. In fact, he was already being heralded at 20 years old as one of the next leaders of the Church of Scotland. He was also engaged to be married, and so life for him was right on track until it started to fall apart. During his engagement, at the age of 20, George Matheson discovered that he was going blind. He was losing his eyesight, and this blindness was actually progressing very quickly. He would not be able to keep up with the volume of reading that he would have to do in order to uh, stay on track in that theological career that he wanted to pursue, nor would he be able to write quickly enough. He was willing and able and pretty much ready to absorb that blow, but it was the blow that followed it that was really, really painful for him. Uh, Upon discovery of Matheson's blindness, his fiancée started to realize what life was going to look like. Uh, When they had gotten engaged, this was not exactly what she had signed up for. So 
uh, upon discovering that he was going blind, she actually broke that engagement. So at age 20, just when everything looked to be on the precipice of success, George Matheson had a horrible event happen to him with two horrible consequences. The horrible event was the fact of his blindness. The horrible consequences was the loss of a vocation and the loss of his fiancée. So George Matheson found himself at that moment alone and in anguish. Psalm 31 begins in anguish. Like many of the psalms in the Psalter, it takes the reader on a journey, a journey from anguish, a a situation of great difficulty, to assurance, a place of faith and trust in the Lord. And and, and this journey that Psalm 31 takes us on is, is not a journey of kind of listening to our inner voice or finding our own truth or it's not a lesson in the power of positive thinking. This journey is guided by the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you are on this journey today, some place on this journey. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage or you're grasping at straws trying to figure out how to parent and to love a a wandering child. Maybe you're deeply struggling with your health or you're caring for someone who's rapidly going downhill with respect to the frailty of their body. But I can tell you this, if you're not someplace on that journey this evening, one thing is absolutely certain, and that is this. Unless Jesus comes back, unless he ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, at some point in your life, you will be. You will be in anguish, and you will be searching for a path toward hope and joy. Psalm 31, like other psalms, in the Bible, gives you that path. It is a journey from anguish to assurance through faith in Christ. And we see this journey in Psalm 31 under three parts. First, we see the hunted one. Second, we see the rejected one. And finally, we see the redeemed one, the hunted one, the rejected one, the redeemed one. Psalm 31 is interesting in that it actually repeats this journey twice, so, uh, verses 1 through 8 goes from uh, anguish to assurance. And then in verse 9, it starts over again. But what we see is that in verses 1 through 8, there is an objective circumstance. And in verses 9 through 24, there are the consequences of that circumstance. But the journey is very ser- uh, similar. But we'll look at both halves of this as we kind of go through. So in the first part of this journey, we see the anguish of the hunted one. The context of Psalm 31 is very much like the context of many of the Psalms that are attributed to David. There is some kind of real physical danger that he is in. We don't know exactly what the context is, but if you go back and you read the historical books in the Bible, uh, you can get a feel for what some of these circumstances may be. When David was anointed to be the next king over Israel, the sitting king of Israel, whose name was Saul, was not very happy about that. He was very jealous of David. And so he immediately began to try to hunt him down, to kill him, to make sure that David would not take his throne. 
There were other aspects in the life of David that were just as physically dangerous. When he was the king of Israel, he was actually chased out of Jerusalem, forced out of Jerusalem because of an attempted coup, a rebellion that was instigated by and led by his own son. Those are only two examples of several that the Bible gives you of enemies, real human enemies, physically trying to find David and trying to do him harm. But that's David, the attributed author of Psalm 31. What about you? Has there ever been a time in your life where you feel like you have been trapped in some way and you can't get out of it, like you were being hunted, like your name or your reputation was being dragged through the mud and there was absolutely nothing you could do about it? You just sort of had to sit back and take it. You couldn't stop it. Uh, have you ever had a friend or a coworker turn their back on you, maybe because they were jealous of you for something, or maybe there was a simple misunderstanding, but you couldn't bring clarity because they couldn't bring themselves to hear you anymore. Maybe you work with someone who is constantly disparaging you or disparaging other people or their work because the only thing that they care about is getting ahead and, and they don't really care about the, the mess that they make or the wakes that they cause as long as they are getting where they want to go. Maybe you have had some times in school where you were the target of bullies and every single day felt like a relentless attack, either verbally or sometimes even physically. All of this is real. It's real and it's painful and it can feel like, our lives can feel like a series of relentless attacks that you absolutely just have to endure every day with no hope of escape. That's what it feels like to be on the defensive, to be the one who is hunted, to be the hunted one. But that is not the only pain and the only difficult that we face as human beings, is it? When we are hunted, when we're under attack, we also very often feel like the rejected ones. Verses 1 through 8 present that situational reality for the psalmist, for David. Somebody is physically trying to do him harm and he is calling out to God to protect him and to stop them. But then in verse 9, he turns to one of the really, really hard consequences of this attack. One of the results. You see, he has become rejected He's become rejected not only by the ones who are trying to hunt him down and find him. He is being rejected because he is being attacked. Because he is being hunted. Look at verse 11. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach. Or verse 12. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. Doesn't this ring true in your own life? You know, a lot of times, maybe most of the time, when you're going through a time of real difficulty, a time of real hardship in your life, sometimes it is not that circumstance that is the most difficult thing to bear. Sometimes the most difficult thing to bear is to be going through a really hard circumstance in your life and then to look up and to realize that you are all alone in it. 
that you've been abandoned, that the people that you thought were your friends have left you. Maybe it's just because they're uncomfortable with it and they, they don't really know how to enter into your pain. Maybe they feel awkward and they just don't know what to do. But a lot of times, I actually think in our culture here in America, that we sort of treat the difficulties of other people like they're contagious, right? Like, if I get too close to somebody that is struggling and hurting, whatever's going on in their life might rub off on me and I don't have time for that. I don't need that. I can't handle that. I can't catch that disease. So you just sort of walk away, you just sort of sneak away. You know, if you were to ask my oldest son, who's about to be a senior in college, when it was that he first realized that he would really liked to go to school at the University of Texas. And he was being honest, because he might not. But if he were being honest, he would tell you that it was probably while he and I were watching the national championship game in 2006 against USC. The Longhorns against USC, 2006. Jackson, my son, was seven years old. And he was watching this crazy, amazing athlete named Vince Young run all over the field in this high-scoring game, and it was a nail-biter, and in the end, you know, Vince Young runs into the corner of the end zone, and they win this game, and Jackson was like, I don't know who that guy is or where he is, but I want to go there. And there he is. But, uh, you know, I, I also remember, though, a couple of years ago hearing a really raw interview with Vince Young. You know, after that game in 2006, Vince Young was on top of the world. A couple of months after that, he was drafted by the Tennessee Titans. He was going to go play in the NFL. But then he had some very difficult things happen to him. He ran into financial problems and other problems of his own making. And he was giving this interview and he said this, something like this in this interview. He said, when I was in the league, and he means when, I was in, when he was in the NFL, when I was in the league, everybody wanted to be my friend. When I was in the league, everybody wanted to be my friend. But now, I don't know who my friends are. I don't know who my friends are. It sounds a little bit like Psalm 31, doesn't it? I have become a reproach. I've gone through difficult things that everybody has scattered away from me. I have become like one who is dead. This is actually the way of the world. This is the way of the world that we live in. And the reason is this. Well, there are a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is this. Because in modern day America, modern day Houston, self-expression and authenticity are the highest of values. And what that means is that friendships become self-serving. Now, of course, there's wisdom here, so don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about codependent relationships. I'm not talking about abusive relationships. But what I'm talking about, if you listen clearly, closely in our culture, if you listen to podcasts or, you know, you read, if you flip through your Apple scroll, you know, news, you'll see this on some of the things that pop up. Because people will tell you that for you to be successful in life, for you to make the most out of your life, you have to find the relationships that are not helping you succeed and you have to jettison those. You have to get rid of all of the people in your life that are holding you back, that are not helping you become who you want to be. Now, 
if that is an abusive relationship or a codependent or a really, really hurtful and harmful relationship, that's probably good advice. But what that generally speaking means is if somebody's just a drain on you relationally, you need to, they need to go. But we need to be thankful that Jesus didn't do that, right? We need to be thankful that that was not the way that Jesus approached us. Because if my friends only exist to make me happy and I only exist to make my friends happy, then what happens when one of us is not happy? What happens when the happiness goes away? That's when the loneliness kicks in. But that's why the church must be different from the world. The church is knit together by the Holy Spirit. It is not knit together by our personal understandings of what makes us happy. The Holy Spirit gives us the very mind of Christ who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The church must be the antidote for the rejection that we feel from the strains and the struggles and the hardships and the hurts of this world. And that helps us actually to transition to redemption. Psalm 31 presents us not only with the hunted one, the rejected one, but also with the redeemed one. If we go back to our theme of why we're looking into the Psalms this summer, you'll remember that one of the reasons that we look into the Psalms is because they give us a language for crying out and calling out to God. They give us a head and a heart language for prayer. And there's great beauty here in Psalm 31 because David is crying out to God for his mercy. He's crying out to God for God's salvation and he has to ground this request somewhere, right? He has to base this request on something. So what does David base his requests on? He has a few choices. One of those choices would be to base his request on his own innocence. I am innocent. I am being pursued unjustly. Therefore, you must rescue me. Or his goodness. I have been good. They have been evil. Therefore, you must rescue me. Or he could base his request on God's grace. You are a gracious and good God, therefore please rescue me. David chooses this last one, and we should as well. Even though it is true that David is innocent, he is being unjustly hunted, he refuses to ground his hope in himself. So he grounds all of his hope in God's grace. Verse 1. Deliver me in your righteousness. Verse 2, incline your ear, rescue me. Verse 3, for your name's sake, lead and guide me. Verse 4, you are my refuge. Verse 5, you have redeemed me. Verse 7, do all of this, wrap all of this up in your steadfast love. The ground of our hope of salvation, you see, is in the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God means that God will always do 
what is right. And what is right for God to do is to act in accordance with his character, which means that he keeps his promises. His promises of redemption and being good to you are bound up in his steadfast love for you. His steadfast love for you is love that is not conditioned upon your goodness. It is not conditioned upon your acceptability. It is not conditioned upon your righteousness. It is conditioned upon his righteousness. His promise never to leave you, never to forsake you. So when David prays and he invites us to pray and to call out to God for God's name's sake, it's a prayer for God to uphold his own reputation, right? God, uphold your reputation as a God who keeps your promises to save your people and to bring us into relationship with you. Do this for your name's sake. And here Psalm 31 does push us out of the day-to-day struggles that we face and it pushes us into territory of our ultimate and our most important danger. And that is eternal separation from God that is due to us because of our rebellion against him, because of our sin. So how do we know that God keeps his promises? How do you know that he will never leave you? He will never forsake you? He sealed that promise through the blood of his son, your savior, on the cross. Here's something awesome about Psalm 31. Jesus had memorized this psalm. Jesus knew Psalm 31. In fact, Luke in his gospel says that the very last words that Jesus uttered while he was hanging upon the cross before he died came from Psalm 31 verse 5 into your hands I commit my spirit but it is highly significant that Jesus only said the first part of that verse and not the second part of that verse the second part of that verse is you have redeemed me O Lord faithful God you see Jesus was the redeemer he was not the redeemed one his father actually turned his face away from him at that moment he turned his face away from him because he could not behold the weight of the sin your sin my sin that Jesus was bearing on his shoulders at that moment putting them to death so that God would never turn his face away from you Jesus' death on the cross is the mechanism of your salvation. It guarantees and and secures that for you, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. These are the promises that George Matheson ultimately relied on as well. When we left George Matheson, he was 20 years old. His dream of being a theologian was cut short by his blindness and now he was all alone because his fiance had broken their engagement and moved on fortunately for Matheson he had a younger sister who was kind to him she moved into his house with him and she cared for him as he began building a life for himself as a faithful parish pastor 
And about 26 years later, something else happened in George Matheson's life. His sister, who had been caring for him, was proposed to by another man. She accepted the proposal and she was engaged to be married. And so on the eve of his sister's wedding, George Matheson was sitting in his house all by himself, contemplating the fact that he was about to spend the next part of his life alone, no doubt reflecting upon his own broken engagement 20 years before, feeling a lot of the weight of the pain of the world. And George Matheson says that at this moment, he felt something awe-inspiring and terrible pass between him and God. God met him in that moment, and it was awe-inspiring and terrifying. So what George Matheson did was he took out a piece of paper and he took out a pen and he began to write. And he wrote a hymn that by his own admission took him only five minutes to write. He said it was as if it was being dictated to him by God himself. The hymn is titled, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. And one of the stanzas says this, O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promises not vain that morn shall tearless be. This is actually a tiny revision from what George Matheson originally wrote. At first, what George Matheson wrote was this. I climb the rainbow through the rain. And he maybe thought that it wasn't poetic enough, it just didn't have the same ring to it as Trace did, or maybe he thought, I don't know, that might sound a little bit works-oriented, I'm going to change that to Trace. But, but think about the power and the beauty of that original image. Not just seeing the promise of God somewhere off in the distance, so you can see it, I see it, I can trace it, I can hope for it, but actually in the present, in the moment of your distress, to grab a hold of it and climb onto it. It reminds me of, of Jacob wrestling with God at the river Jabbok and just hanging on to him and saying, I will not let go of you until you bless me. The encouragement of Psalm 31 is to actually grab a hold of all of the promises of God right now through faith in Christ. He will not let you go. The one who gave up his own life to secure your life. And because of that, we can close with the very same words of David in Psalm 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your promises that in Christ are indeed yes and amen. We take a hold of them and we cling to them now by your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.